Hello and welcome to Spoil Your Rain. This is a special uh, cross-country episode. We are down in Galway and I'm joined by both of our contributors, Ben Simmons and Jack Kerwin. And we're here to talk about the election. Right, lads? What are we going to do? I suppose the first place to start is there isn't a government at the moment. Well, we have a zombie government. We have a zombie government, yeah. Well, uh, the only the only options that seem viable at the moment, in, in sort of vague orders of impossibility, is Fianna Gael minority supported by Fianna Fáil in a kind of Fianna Fáil pushing them in front of the bus. Reverse Tala strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's the, the potential for the ridiculous like 48 election scenario where everyone goes into power except for Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil, which would be impossible. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Um, I mean, I mean, at the moment, uh, Fianna, Fianna, Fianna Gael are on 47, Fianna Fáil are on 43. That's a total of 90. Mm. So even if all the other parties got together, they couldn't do anything. Oh, so yeah, these guys, these guys have already cleared the, the 50% of the seats of the doll. They haven't got. They didn't get fifty percent of the vote, but they got fifty percent of the seats. Actually, it's one of the few times I think where an election has, in total terms, come very close to your seat total is rather close to your mm. vote total. If you get me right. So if you look at forty nine percent for Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil combined, and they just literally got like just over fifty percent of the seats. You know, it's relatively close. And Labour got six percent, which was one percentage point for every TD they got elected. I think the reduction in amount of seats for this election this time around made things a lot seem a lot tighter as well. Yeah, and I just want to make a point because we I've I've noticed online we have a lot of foreign listeners. We have people in Canada and, and there's a whole bunch of people in California listening, and so we apologize for all of our colloquialisms. But our parliament is not uh, based on the U.S. model of uh, first past the post, where you just have two candidates. We all went, we voted in three different constituencies and we all voted for between nine and ten different candidates. And what we did is we ranked them in our order of preference, one, two, you know, eight or ten. And so the way we elect people is it's a it's a moving, transferable vote. So in my constituency of Sligo Leitrim, um, it took 14 counts to elect all of our TDs. So uh, it should also be pointed out that we haven't actually got a final result yet. We're waiting on ten uh, seats. And on those 10 seats, I mean, those 10 seats are actually really important because people before profit, AAA, otherwise known as, you know, the trots, uh, are one seat away from, they are the trots, that's, that's what they are. The problem is, I know you mean Trotsky, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm thinking like the trots is in diarrhea there. Or some sort of equestrian party. <laughs> Wait. Point well made, lads. Uh, the the PBP AAA coalition. I know, big long name. Uh, they're one seat away from having speaking rights. In our parliament, you need seven seats minimum to get independent speaking rights. Uh, another way to get speaking rights is to come together as a sort of technical group to decide who gets rights to speak in the parliament. The uh, One of the traditional centre-left parties, Labour, are one seat short of getting speaking rights. It would be the first time in their history that they didn't have speaking rights well, in our national parliament. Interesting one of the, uh, this is another really stupid sounding group, the Independent Alliance, which oh, yeah. isn't a political party. But considering the amount of independents who were elected this term, they just need to pick up three more to join that technical group. And they, they have speaking rights, which would be pretty unusual. It's almost like we could end up with seven amorphous blocks that have individual speaking rights. 
the, the Independence Alliance is a particularly strange one because they, as far as I know, their only uniting factor is that they don't like party whip systems. They've got no other. They go from right to left, and they're completely. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand how how they're. I mean, they're basically gene pool independents. Most of them, aren't most they? Them. I mean, they are. I mean, apart from maybe Shane Ross, but Michael Michael Fitzmaurice from Roscommon. I mean, Michael Fitzmaurice. You could see him in Fianna Gael or Fianna Fáil or Clan Natullov to go back to history or the Farmers Party. I mean, that's kind of what he's all about. And Luke Ming and the kind of angry populist right wingers. I mean, they are right wingers. Uh, the thing about this election, though, that sort of does that occurred to me on the train down was we are very similar to what happened in Greece in early 2012. So Greece had this thing like us. They had two large parties. And unlike us, where they're both center right, there was one center right one and one center left one. And so they would alternate who was in power. And then in 2012, the center left party blew up over Christmas and literally lost their majority. They split into six factions and they kind of limped to an election in May. And what happened was the two large parties that had dominated their politics since the end of the junta uh, only got 50% of the vote. And what we're seeing now is the two large parties got 49% of the vote, which means 51% of the voters wanted somebody else. And so if you see the overall share decreasing, um, what does that mean for the next general election? I mean, we don't have a Syriza. See, but this is, this is one of the problems that um, was brought up a fair amount during the, the, the analysis in RTE is that, and most other uh, news outlets, the problem is that the, the left is horrifically cannibalistic. Mm. So it wasn't five minutes after Paul Murphy of uh, the Anti-Austerity Alliance people for, um, was elected that he was questioning the uh, left-wing attributes of Sinn Féin. So the problem is, is that they, they, they continuously end up undercutting each other every time that they, they, they sort of talk. But, but isn't part of the problem is that some of the left-wing groups, like the idea of compromising or even getting into cabinet is like the total anathema for what they want. They, they want to be, to quote Malcolm Tucker, just a shouty madfucker <laughs> out with a bullhorn. I mean, that's kind of what they're about, some of them. When you talk about left in this country, it is very unusual in the sense that some of those groups are essentially wanting to up public spending. Mm. Uh, some of them are slightly more left-veering socialist uh, perspectives on how politics should be run. And then when you look at Sinn Féin, you can divide it down the middle between quite hard right... Corporatists, yeah. Corporatists, or even in a social way, social conservatives, with on the other side of the same block, people who want up public spending, but also look at sort of a socialist republican value. But isn't that also in Sinn Féin caused by the fact that they have both rural and urban deputies? I mean, their, their rural deputies are socially conservative and their urban deputies, with the exception of maybe Pat or Chauvin, tend to be quite socially liberal. So just like a note on where... Um when we're discussing the, like the possibility of a sort of coalition of more left-leaning parties in Ireland or groups, whether they're part of a sort of a minority coalition in a government, it just seems very unlikely because many of the reasons why they classify themselves as left, how they classify each other, seems to be a very big barrier to um, 
them having any sort of political force besides being a focused commentary opposition. But yeah. it's also that they have all the tactics of the right. Like they, they function like right wingers. Like they're anti austerity. These anti water challenge. It's like anti all the things of the state that they're supposed to be upholding. Now I don't mean that as an attack on them or a slap at them, but yeah. like if you're using all the tactics of the right, then you're using all the tactics of the right. Well, it's the problem is that regardless of whether right, I, was, I, I had an argument with a couple of people over this. The problem with uh, their message is that their message comes across solely to the vast majority of people as just anti everything. There's no positive like I'm in favor of this. I mean, this is true of a number of political parties, but I think anti-austerity gets hit with it a lot more because they don't really make a great effort of putting forward any uh, proposals of alternatives, except for, we don't like how you're doing it, do it differently. They're also not new. I mean, that's the other thing. They're not new. They're not new. Joe Higgins has been around since the 80s, um, and they've served on councils throughout the country. And so you kind of look at that and you go, okay, that's why they probably get elected as TDs because you, you, people tend to elect your councillor or your town council when we had those. But it's not like uh, Ruth Coppinger sponsored some magnificent amendment for Dublin West, or if she did, it's news to me. Yeah, they seem to get caught up in smaller, like even if they become national issues, like obviously water charges brought a certain amount of collaboration amongst different groups. But then again, that's based on sort of community politics. Yeah. Because that's that's where this is coming from. And of course, that should definitely form part of the national dialogue. But when you're thinking in a kind of post-election scenario where we're finding ourselves now, it's not offering a particular alternative. It's also personality-driven. Yeah. Like, Gino McCarthy is a real character, right? He got he got elected. Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett is a real character. Uh, Paul Murphy, Ruth Coventry, you don't think of them as a collective group. You think of them as individuals under a kind of a loose banner. Sort of like, they're like a mirror image of Shane Ross and the merry band of lads, you know, in this the Independence is, Alliance. This is one of the, the, the major features of this election that's unusual, is that the amount of people voting for independence in smaller parties, they weren't uh, voting for them because they were independents. They were voting for the personalities. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, there is an unusual thing. So on the transfers between different counts, usually there's a strong party alliance. One, two, three. Yeah. yeah. I vote for Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, and then Joe Blocks. Or else they just stop. Yeah. It used to be one, two, three, stop. But now it's mad. But um, when they're looking at the transfers, the transfers could go anywhere. You could have someone vote Fianna Fáil because they like the Fianna Fáil guy there. So... And there's also there's also like because I I voted in a constituency that's actually a mixture of two counties plus two small parts of other counties so regionalism kicks in mm. so a lot of people who probably would not have voted for Sinn Fein but because the viable Leitrim candidate was a Sinn Fein guy he ended up mopping up a huge amount of first preferences coming out of Leitrim because people were like well we need to have our our deputy from our side our of the guy. constituency and i mean it's a it's a reasonable point because we've had we have four tds elected three of them are all from sligo well this is one of the important things i think people forget about um our system of voting is that you can vote for everyone yes yeah. <laughs> you don't have that uh, sort of divide of i'm a tory or i'm labor it's very much sort of like so for instance um it would be fairly common to vote right i'm going to vote for independent, independent, independent. Now, they're not likely to get in. Great if they do. Maybe I'll put the Greens in. 
then look, I don't like Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, but you know, I need to have a good, strong party representative You'll give in them the government. So I'll give them a five. You yeah. know, that'll definitely get them over the line. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very tactical voting that doesn't breed strong ideological loyalty. It, it brings loyalty to parties in the past, but not well. to the ideology, partially because, as we all know, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are fairly hard to distinguish at times. Yeah, but there's one thing about the whole thing of the the the, the RT kind of Irish time consensus is basically, oh, well, these guys are Tweedledum, Tweedledee. Actually, yeah. they're not. Fianna Gael are out-and-out out right-wing neoliberal economics on steroids. They have created the widest disparity of inequality uh, in recent times, in the last 20 years. It's under them, right? Uh, Fianna Fáil were, up until, until basically the Cowan years, a national movement. There is a big difference there. They obviously, they govern similarly and they would agree on a lot of things, but there is a difference between an ideologically driven party and a national movement type party. Hmm. And a national movement that encompassed many different wings within it. There's the sort of, it used to be called the Republican Fianna Fáil wing. Now a lot of them are gone, but they're still there. And you would have the social conservatives, and then you'd have some social liberals, and you'd have even some greens inside the Fianna Fáil tent, right? Uh, under the Cowan, after the Cowan kind of debacle, that kind of went out the window. But that's kind of where their votes are coming from because they can hoover up stuff. You look at Fianna Gael, they're not getting great transfers. They don't hoover up a kind of a right-wing vote, except from Renua. And we actually said, when Renua was first announced last year, I said, this isn't the party. This is a stalking horse to drag Fianna Gael to the right, and it failed. It no, it didn't work. It didn't, it didn't work. I think the election actually reflects in one way, like, we, in this podcast, discussed, and we're, we're pretty much right. I don't think we imagined that uh, there would be a certain, that amount of independence necessarily. But yeah, we saw the writing on the wall in terms of neither Fianna Gael nor Fianna Fáil were actually going to do that well in this election. No. But one thing I think it, it does reflect is kind of the campaigns. Everyone was utterly unimpressed. Like, Fianna Gael ran on, let's keep the Fianna Gael and Labour ran on, let's keep the recovery going. <laughs> Which is the worst slogan I've ever heard of. Which is essentially, with, in another translation, more of the same. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, also because yeah, we it, didn't manage to get the recovery going. It, it's still ongoing process. So yeah, but, how many more years is it going to take? Another and actually, you're, five, right, you're right. If, if it's more of the same, like how many parties win when it's change versus more of the same and they're the guys going more of the same, lads? And you, as you were saying about Fianna Fáil, not that they are, you know, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, as you said, but I wasn't exactly sure for any of the leaders' debate what the difference was. Mm, if that. there is a difference, they should have been out in force saying it. They were saying, they're not good enough. Well, of course we know we're not good enough. That's why we're having an election. But, that's why we're but, probably going to throw them out of government. But here's gosh. the thing. I don't think, I've said this, I really do not think that these nationalised, televised debates, yes, they have a certain amount of viewers. I really think... They, they matter a piddling on, on the day of the count. No, I really don't think they have a huge emphasis. I'm not saying that, they, that, that the debates influence the voter, mm. but they do reflect that. I don't think, like the first, the, the debate on TV3, it was mostly the facilitators trying to just get them to stop shouting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you could have got a political or a social point across in that entire, was it hour and a half, hour and 20 oh, minutes? It was on for ages, yeah. It, it made no sense. Well, the problem is... Uh, so, no, but you're right there, because that, that, the debates showed that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil 
from a debating point of view, from a leadership point of view, had no differences. But obviously there were big differences on the ground in, in the constituency. So it's this weird dichotomy where on the national front people go, oh, there's not really much difference. But then if you're going into a polling station, you're going, oh, there's a huge difference between that guy and this guy. Well, here's, here's the thing um, as I see it. The problem with the outgoing government is uh, they focused on the economy very much during the past five years to the detriment of a lot of uh, the societies, communities, just systems that were in place. Can we also say that they made some of the, the most basic political mistakes I've ever seen. Yes. Like, like basic, don't insult your constituents three days before an election. Like. Yes, this would be the, the leader of Fine Gael, Enda Kenny, who came out in his hometown of Castlebar, where he was running for election and said that the, ca- the county had some world-class whingers, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 He said it to his own constituents. I mean, that takes some moxie, but still. He's right, but you don't say it. <laughs> no, you don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you I always mean, get hammered for saying the truth. Yeah, similarly, the, the ex-leader of Labour had uh, his, uh, after the election, at least he had the brains to wait, was pointing out that his, the, the, there was a difference between the middle class and the working class and how receptive they were to Labour's message. Uh, where the working class wasn't very receptive to the macroeconomic statistics. They just wouldn't listen. You're going, well, why would they? You say, well, on a macroeconomic level, things are going well, and they're going, but I still don't have any shoes. Or a know? job. Or yeah. a job. Like, but, I don't, I'm on the dole. How does this help me? But going back to the thing, the, the, the difference with, between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael uh, is in a very small way that Fianna Fáil is not very different on an ideological level, except that they will shift with the winds. They'll spend money. That's the difference. They are. They do spend money. That's the other factor, is that they actually get very involved with the community. They, they embed themselves within the community, so that's why they have such long-standing dynasties of father, son, grandson. Um, and that's... Fine Gael failed to do that. They failed to capitalize on the massive win last election. Actually, did, did you either of you see the election on the Healyway brothers? Not, not, not the fact that they got elected, but the fact that they're siblings. And there was a whole article done in the Irish Times, and it tracked all the siblings who've been elected. I mean, it was the in journal. It was either the journal or the Irish Times. And and it, it tracked all of the siblings who've been elected, and most of the siblings and father-son relationships are Fianna Fáil relationships. And I wonder. It, why aren't Fine Gael siblings getting elected? Okay, there's the Bruton brothers. They're the famous mm. example and uh, some of the Cosgraves and things like that. But not, you haven't had a huge amount of it. But like, if you think of Fianna Fáil, you've got the Lenehans, the Hoys, you know, the, the Andrews. The Cowans now. The Cowans now, yeah. There's loads of them. And they seem to have, you're right, a dynastic kind of politics. In Sligo Legion, Mark McSharry, the son of Ray McSharry. And he's got, an, I think, a cousin who's on the council. You know, they're all interconnected everywhere. It's because in many ways, I always think of uh, Fianna Fáil is the old gentleman's club, except in Ireland. They, they all know they each other. They are definitely a fellow-run party. Other, yeah. um, which is why they were also the party that had the biggest problem with gender quotas. Yeah. Um, you'll notice Fianna Gael doesn't have a problem with that because, well, Fianna Gael appeals to women a lot more because it doesn't have that, it goes from Joe to Joe to Frank to Joe Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, system. Uh, but it, it is it is an important distinction in how they organize themselves. Um, like similarly, labor doesn't quite have this the 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 same dynastic aspects either. Apart from maybe the springs in in Cork. Yeah, 
Uh, but even then, that's like an unusual aspect of it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, labor is a bit, maybe because it comes out of the trade union movement. I mean, I suppose the whole theory of trade unions is that you can come up from being a bricklayer and you can be the union head and then you run for TD. And so there is a bit more dynam dynamic kind of forces going on. I mean, Sinn Féin are starting to do a bit of the family thing, too. Mm. Not in the same degree, but you can see it starting. You can see already the next generation in the councils wait another five years and then it'll be out to, to, to do the running, you know. Well, this is another interesting thing that uh, a lot of people didn't bring up in the analysis, which is that Sinn Féin has a very, very different strategy compared to the other parties. Um, it's been called things like Shinnernomics and, you know, it's like it's heavily criticized, but it is distinctly different from the other two parties. But isn't there, I mean, isn't the whole thing about Sinn Féin in the election is that they have a two plus one strategy, which is they figured, I, my theory is that they knew that it was going to be, there's a possibility of two elections this year. And they went, okay, we're going to go up to, we're going to get, we'll get 10 seats. They're on 22 now. There's two seats in play. They might get two of them if they're lucky. If not, they'll get 23 seats. So they've gone up from 14 to 23. They've gone from five to 14 to 23. That's a huge jump in, in three general elections. Um, and from what I saw, it was a two plus one. So if they have two this year, They'll probably go up another maybe six, seven, depending if they get their transfer. And if they fix Donegal, which was such a disaster for them. They only got one in Donegal. Um, and then, you know, they wait for another election. Well, that's, that's, they, they have thought this far ahead, it seems to me anyway. Well, that is that does seem to be the strategy. It's long term and it's, uh, for instance, the discussion of how many councillors they've gotten into county councils. A lot. Which is very important because... That's where you start sort of testing out your TDs. Um, whereas the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael strategy has always tended to be just chuck three guys out there and, you know, vote one, two, three, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. Um, though they go about it in different ways. Sinn Féin in a lot of places tends to just one one candidate. Yeah. Just one strong candidate. And okay, I mean, the only exception to this would be Donegal where it seems that they made a, a, a serious mistake. And I actually think it was a geographical mistake. Now, Dun Ben would know more about this than I would, because you're well, from there. <clears throat> sort of because Donegal is such a large county, like turning it into a one five-seater constituency. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Donegal, South Donegal, North Donegal, East Donegal, West Donegal are actual different, like you're the blue state. Essentially, you can look at it through mountain ranges. It's, it's a divided county. Mm. Uh, they're obviously the, the biggest center is Letterkenny, Followed by, you know, is it Lippin, Donegal Town, and then Crana. You know, there, there are bigger towns there, but essentially it's divided in sort of rural, ruralized districts. Um, and so to, just to make it one five-seater meant that you weren't going to have the pull across the entire county for every candidate, especially a Sinn Féin candidate as well. Yeah. But I mean, they lost a really good TD. I mean, they lost Park McLaughlin, who, by all accounts, was very popular. Yeah. It's not like people hated him up there. He was very well liked. And but it just seemed to me that they ran a third guy, Gerald Doherty, and they and they just got mixed up in the way that they did it. And Pringle uh, is very very popular, and I think, you know, in fairness, I, I saw the footage of it. Park McLaughlin was very nice about it. He didn't throw a tantrum and ask for a recount, and he was a total gentleman. And he thanked Thomas and he congratulated him. So now basically the situation in in Donegal is one Sinn Fein, two Fianna Fáil. One Fine Gael and Thomas Bringle, who's independent socialist, isn't he? I think he's independent. Yeah. Right? I, I don't know if he's a socialist, but he's independent anyway. I, I kind of took my foot because I wasn't voting in Donegal this yeah. time around. So I kind of 
I just looked at sort of the headline figures. Yeah, but it, I mean, it was interesting because it really came down to the last seat and it was like either it's going to be the second Sinn Féin or it's going to be the independent. You know? Well, something that I found very interesting actually was the number of counties that the, the four-seaters that went one Fianna Get Fall, one Fianna Gael, one Labour, one Sinn Féin. There's, yeah. a, there's a couple of those, and it, it, it shows a sort of an interesting thing where they might actually start forcing the parties to cooperate on a low level, which may eventually translate to a high level. But well, you even see the sandwich constituencies in the Midlands. They split up for the first time ever, or the first time in at least 50 years, they split Leash and Offaly into two separate three-seaters because they both got big population jumps in the census. And the sandwiches, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil. Fine Gael, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil unheard of like they're just sitting there and they're all kind of on roughly even levels um and then of course we have the rebel constituencies which are like independent dominated that's Kerry, tipperary and roscommon yeah no i think the roscommon thing had a lot to do with that boundary change and we, we discussed that briefly that boundary change was crazy to uh, to talk about removing a section of a county three weeks before an election is bananas because all you're going to do is stir up every anti-government person in that county who's going to go mad because you're looking to just change how they perceive themselves, how they choose perceive the voters and the politicians, which they normally elect. Yeah, and every GA club in the country, in that county in Roscommon was going mad. Because they they're going to change the county. Like I mean, the GA and county boundaries are sort of you just you don't you don't mess with it. You just leave it alone. Yeah, I mean, they they remember years ago there was some talk of putting Clare in with Connacht and everyone in Clare who is perfectly fine with Connacht and Galway and everything. I was just like, no, they're awful. We're never doing that. This is the worst evil you could do to Clare. Leave us in Munster. <laughs> leave, leave us, in, leave leave us, us in, with our rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave, you, leave us with Cork and, and Limerick. Um, one thing about the Labour result is four of the six people who got put back in are all ministers. And I was talking about this to someone and they said, you know, People will vote to keep the minister in the constituency, even if they don't like the party because they go, well, money will be coming in. But don't all those voters now feel totally cheated? They've yeah. got these four ministers who aren't who have no ministries anymore. That means that you know Brendan Howland doesn't have, have anything to do with the economy. Jan O'Sullivan is no longer running education. John Burton has nothing to do with social protection. Alan Kelly is no longer running the environment. And they were those were three of those were very big departments. Big departments. Big ministries to yeah. have. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing that I found most interesting about uh, Labour is that if you're looking at Galway, where, you know, President Michael D. Higgins had is from, for 40 years. he built up a strong Labour base here over years. Like, Galway is one of the few consistent Labour constituencies, if I recall correctly, and it's gone. Overnight, yeah, labor wiped out. Wiped out. Like Derek Nolan, like he was very low down as well. He wasn't. Uh, no, he was eliminated in the third, fourth count. Maybe yeah, early. And he should definitely have been like one of the last to go, following tradition. But no, I, I haven't lived here for a, a couple of years. But isn't that a bit part? Isn't isn't there a personal aspect to that? Is it that people don't like him? I think the difficulty is that there's obviously a big disappointment in the Labour Party anyway. I think that people who normally be like, oh, well, I'm a Labour voter, don't exist in the same way anymore. Yeah. Because that, that kind of work, that traditional kind of work is being eroded. Like, young, especially younger teachers or younger unionised workers are becoming the short end of the stick in terms of contract, contracting in comparison to their senior peers. So I think what happened in Galway were independents and um, social Democrats and 
the established parties just hoovered up those votes because they didn't seem like a viable party to vote for. Yeah, and I suppose the thing about Michael as well is that he's he's very well liked. I mean, he I'm, I didn't vote for him, but he's very well liked. I mean, he's liked as a person, he's liked as a president, and I suppose it's again with the personality thing. That was his seat, not necessarily Labour's seat, it was Michael's seat. I think, actually I wanted to ask a question, like who overall wins, for, not, I mean, it doesn't win in terms of who's in government, but which parties or which people or which sections of society do you think win or gain, make gains coming out of this I election? Think, I think the poor get a reprieve. <laughs> not to be so grim about it. I, no, I do. I yeah. think, like, we're not... The little matchstick girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the little matchstick girl. Yeah, yeah, the girl selling cigarettes on yeah. the side of the street. Um, I think... I think basically uh, people who are really suffering right now will get a reprieve from more appalling right-wing policies for at least the next six weeks. That's one part of it. Uh, and if Fianna Fáil are in power, if they go in with coalition, they know this would be the third party that's been destroyed by the electorate. They are not going to allow the sort of mad right-wing stuff, the kind of basically social Darwinism that was being put in place by certain Fine Gael ministers. Not all of them. I'm not, I don't want to broad them. This is not all of them. But certain ministers went out of their way to push a very social Darwinistic right-wing economic package. Yes. And you well, look at the ministries they were running and how they ran them. And that was what they were all about. And I think... Fianna Fáil go, not a hope, we're not letting you do any of that. So if, you, if someone wins, it's maybe those guys, but the squeeze middle, as they're called, I don't think they're going to get anything. No. And I, the young people, our age group, we got nothing from this. Like, I haven't, seen, I haven't seen the demographic breakdown. God knows how many of us voted. I hope more than 30% of us voted. I know the three of us voted. Um, I, I wouldn't be even expecting 30%, yeah. to be honest. So, uh, like, we, we're not getting anything. Like, okay, supposedly this rent control is supposed to help us. It's not. But we didn't get anything in this election, so I don't know. I mean, our seat is for our our, our seat. Our votes are for sale. Definitely, well, people they're they're there to be hoovered up. Yeah, the problem is our votes are for sale, but most people have them lost in the basement somewhere. True. Uh, like, like it's same with every democracy in the Western world. Young people are bad at voting. Although, thank God, um, our turnout is high. Yes. Give us that. But uh, at the same time, I think the biggest winners are probably going to be uh it's going to be Fianna Fáil's political or machine the, the their machine was considered that it was going to be broken for at least two elections back in 2011 that machine they, like I, I can see Michal Martin using an almost hockey like strategy going back to going to the different counties and districts shaking their hands the chicken and, and chip circuit yeah rebuilding that machine that core base that allowed them to hold on to power i don't know about that i mean i don't know if he's mm. the messenger for a chicken and chip circuit he was considered to have won most of the debates that i didn't watch <laughs> no like i know that but i've read some of the reviews of the debates and i was very confused about sort of the responses to certain leaders i was like but none of them answered any questions properly. <laughs> and he totally fluffed the cronyism thing because he put Bertie Hearn's former partner on the National Consumer Agency when she had no qualifications to do it. And, uh, you know, so he is still going to be tagged with the fact that he's the guy who created the HSC. That's all I heard when I was in nature. That fella, he created the HSC. We hate that. So there, he has baggage in a way that Hawhey didn't have baggage. That's when Hawhey did the chicken and chip circuit in the 70s, he could say, when I was Minister of Finance in the 60s, it was great, lads. I got you the pension, I got you the free travel. He had a package of goodies to go. 
Whereas I suppose Miho Magnin can go, remember your health service? I made it worse. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Remember yeah. your economy? I watched it go down the tube. And also, and, and this is, I know you're a Corkman, so I, I'm uh, not no trying worries. to offend you, but <laughs> the only Cork politician really who had any ability to get a broad national appeal was Jack Lynch. Oh, no and doubt. And Michael Martin has not a spot on Jack Lynch. Not in the slightest. Because Lynch had a very particular way of going around and doing things. And my, Michal is not that guy. We but tend to elect Dublin Taoiseach. I, just, I don't like it, but I that's just, what happens. I just mean that the Fianna Fáil machine, oh, the, the machine, particularly yeah. strong machine, probably the, the most efficient political machine in the country, is going to make some serious inroads again. Do you not think, though, that they have a tendency to overplay themselves? Fianna Fáil, uh, just like tactically. Okay. They, they do, but at the same time, Fianna Fáil is quite cautious when they've had a loss. Did you see those those images of those guys? We're back. Well, yes, but they are. I know they are. But but I mean, I think that would freak a lot, a lot of people out, the 51% of the country who didn't vote for them. And we're like, whoa, what's that? I can agree, but uh, it's still a strong win. It's still, it, look, it puts yeah. them back at up in the second yeah, team, second position. Uh, second yeah, position. Yeah, it does. Um, and actually, potentially, they could be in the first position. Bear in mind, there's only four seats between them and Fina Gale. Um, but I wonder if it's a Pyrrhic victory. And I'm not trying to say that to be a devil's oh, advocate. Yeah. I'm just literally looking at it going, yeah, 24% of the vote. They maximize their vote very well because they have a fantastic machine. And I'd be the first to say it. I saw it in action at the count. It's a superb machine politics. They do it really, really well. well and Sinn Féin are learning from them. But... It's one of those bounces where you go, it's a bounce, not really, it wasn't, this was an election in favor of Fianna Fáil. This was an election in rejection of Fianna Gael and Labour. It's a very different thing. Well, actually, it seems to be what, how we actually have elections seems to be as rejections. It was a divorce, not a marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is very true. This, this, this brings up an important thing, though, about uh, Fianna Fáil's position entirely depends on the kind of government or non-government that ends up becoming formed and how long it is before the next election. I think that's the case for most of the parties. They seem split is, on this, though. They seem really split. Because Eamon O'Keefe was coming out and saying, wasn't he sort of saying, we'll do a kind of a minority government situation? And then there was other guys who were like, uh-uh, why would we support... One guy made a good point. I think he was one of the Cork deputies. He said, why would I support a government that I'm not in when I have to go back to my constituents and explain stuff and, and they're saying to me, well, why aren't you controlling the lever of power? It's a fair point, like, if he's got to explain to his diehard supporters in West Cork, where Fianna Fáil mopped up all over Cork, mm. why aren't you in power? We voted you to, to run the show. Like, it is a hard debate to make. See, this is the problem for all the parties, though. Uh, I mean, similarly, Fianna Gael, uh, I noticed on the day of the, the, the first count... Well, they were all over the shop. They had no idea what to do. Andy Kenny, like, looked completely shell-shocked, and... Yeah. Leo Radkar had actually made a very, very smart statement when he was asked, is it the responsibility of the Fine Gael Labour government he to said, form no. a new government? He went, no, the populace has rejected our government. It's up to the others. Then followed less than half an hour later by Enda Kenny saying it's our responsibility to form a new stable government. There is an interesting thing here, though. When you broke down why people voted for different parties... Stability was low for most people, but it was very high for Fianna Gael. And that adds that problem for Fianna Gael as well. But Fianna Gael, but Fianna Gael only won AB voters. You know, you know the AB? Yes. You know, just for the listener, AB uh, is how we, you break down the, um, 
populace by class, basically. A, B are the very wealthy voters. Occupation. Is it occupation and class, really? Well, it, it is essentially class. It's just a nicer way of saying it. Fair enough. And D would be the poorest voters. Um, and then, obviously, the other letters in between. Um, but Fine Gael maxed out with AB voters. Look at where they won. They won in areas of high concentrations of wealth. I don't think that's pretty... That's not a controversial statement. That's just the fact. Um, so if those voters... Yeah, they're very worried about stability because they have money in the stock market. Uh, and they, you know, they have money in, in, in things and in assets that well, they, they want to do. they have stuff. They have stuff. They have shit to lose, basically. Um, but I don't think a lot of Fianna Fáil voters were as concerned about stability in the same way that Fianna Gael voters would be very, very worried about stability. But I mean, this election almost in a way is a failure of micro-targeting. Because Fianna Gael's whole thing, if you listen to them last year, and we were listening to them at the beginning of this podcast, they were all about, oh, we've got this fantastic strategy, we've brought in the Tories, always a bad start, really. <laughs> we've brought the Tories in and they've told us how to win the election. And I was like, really? I, I hope that works for you. And they had this whole thing, we're going to micro-target our voters, we're going to get focus groups, we're going to focus group our message, and we're going to figure out by data specifically who our voters are, turn them out, get them to the poll. A very US-style data-centric campaign does not work in multi-seat constituencies, and it also doesn't work because focus groups, and I was saying this to Ben earlier, I, I don't trust focus groups. These are people who willingly would tell you in writing that they know nothing. And yet we asked them to set agendas. Like, it, it was a total failure of this data campaign. I mean, I don't know if any of you saw these Facebook ads. Yeah, no, I the, saw some of the targeted... The targeted ads. Facebook ads. They were terrible. I didn't see them. What was... What well, were one these? Of, one of them was against a, a woman called Catherine Riley who was running in Cavan Monaghan. And it kept turning up on uh, my oh. journal feed. <laughs> and it was just like a picture of her uh, and they flipped the image. So you know, you know how normally you take a picture and someone's yeah. like right side, and they flip the image. So she looked weird because it was a, they flipped her face, and it was like you know, vote for Sinn Fein and the economy is ruined. And she was in black and white, and the back was red, getting redder as it went down the screen. And it was like they actually did attack ads. Oh yeah. So I I don't really. Oh yeah, they they, they did the they did online attack yeah. ads against specific candidates. That's very interesting. But, uh, but look, one part of the reason that uh, this ties into, as we were saying earlier, the reason that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil don't seem that different, it does have to do with the thing of, in, a, in Ireland, you were voted out more than you're voted in, because you have to appeal to everyone. You're choosing who you lose, not who you address. Uh, like, this is, this is kind of, if you think about in America... You know, in the primaries, everyone is ultra-democratic, ultra-republican, and then the closer to election day, the more and more they're like, well, I don't think we should eliminate all of the Mexicans, just some. Yeah, and it yeah, just yeah. slowly becomes, yeah. I think Mexicans are actually good hard You run people, back to the center. Because it just yeah. slowly sort of degrades the message. But we don't have any of that. But, yeah, we don't have that. So here, number one, uh, most of our politicians haven't caught up to the notion that if you say something and it goes online... <laughs> It's there forever. forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't go away. Isn't that what haunted labor? Isn't that isn't that it right there in a nutshell? They made these crazy promises. It was on film, and we all saw it repeatedly over the last five years. I've seen that clip of Labour's way or Frankfurt's way about a ten thousand times in the last five years. It's indelibly printed in my memory uh, as a ridiculous moment. But it didn't make me vote against them. It was just a ridiculous moment. But a lot of people got. To, that's what they remember. Um, so it's almost like 
But that's not an attack ad. I mean, you could argue that, that RTE were definitely pushing the boundaries of sort of impartial journalism. I would be the first to say they did. But um, running what politicians say is not the same as an attack <laughs> ad when it's in context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, this is a major problem. Uh, and as but I did said, that ISIS guy survive? Remember him? There was the Fine Gael backbencher who compared people for profit to ISIS. I wonder if he survived. I have to I'm look not him sure. up. Not sure. We'll have to find out. But he, yeah, he was running in Tipperary. Oh no, I think he got wiped out. Um, <laughs> he did. If <laughs> yeah, he's running he was in Tipperary. He got wiped out. But he compared them to ISIS. I was like, that's mad. Well, see, the problem. The problem is, as uh, I see it, is as you said, Labour and Fine Gael both looked at this as a UK-US type election and forgot that that's why their transfers were so low. They lost a lot of their first preferences, sure, but the reason that they only start catching up uh, once it hit the 60% of seats mark, they, yeah. that was when they actually took ahead of Fianna Fáil. That was because the transfers were so low because so many people who wouldn't vote Fianna Gael number one or two, would, would have voted them three or four, didn't vote for them. Yeah. Because like, these small little things of like wingers or keep the recovery going, all these slogans, Kenny's every single word and concept, which seems to be just an escalating series of mistakes. Yeah, he does not do people well. He doesn't do human well. No, like, <laughs> I, I, I will be fair now. He has governed as probably the finest parliamentarian we've had. I say that with a caveat. I don't agree with a lot of what he did in government, but he was a very shrewd and very, very effective use of parliamentary procedures because mm. he's been there for 50, 40 years, sorry, 41 years. And nobody, when he took over his T-shirt, thought he'd last this long. That's yes, the first true. thing we got to say. He, we thought this election was going to happen a lot sooner. Uh, the other thing I think, it turns just to go back to Labour for a point, I think why this election was so bad for them. People said, oh, well, they still have some seats, so it's not as bad as possible. But they chickened out. Mm. Because they ran essentially on the same platform as Fine Gael did, which is like, vote us back in with those guys. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> you, you just lied because you got into a, you were a minority party in a really, really essentially right government. You couldn't make any effectual kind of changes that at least people knew Felt. about. Yeah. And a lot of the time, if there was bad news to be said, you had to a do Labour it. person who had to go out and tell the TV cameras it wasn't a Fine Gael person. And this is the thing, if Labour actually had a bit of gumption or a kind of, you know, self-preservation, you, know you, know you know you're going to be out of government, throw the kitchen sink at it. Yeah. And it's the only time where they had funding to put this many candidates. If this election happens again, they're not going to have the money to do this. No. All they needed to say was, we did something terrible. We're going into coalition with this government. They need to be replaced, and we'll be the first people to say that. But didn't they, they didn't, undermine us at every point? But didn't they try that? Because they said, like, we got 65 of our manifesto put in and whatever. But I went back and looked at the manifesto, and I was like, well, half of that I don't agree with. <laughs> so, yeah, you got 65 put in, but I hated 30% of your manifesto to begin with. But Labour needed to be the one that brought this election to the fore. Labour but, needed to say, right, we're out of this coalition. Well, but like, and the other, the, here's the thing about that brings up the November election. Sorry to interrupt. Mm. What do we think about just briefly? Because people have been asking yeah. about, do if they had a, a November snap election, do we think that Enda would be back with 60 65 seats? Do you think he would have actually managed no. to, to scare the hell out of the country? Just go, oh, okay, uh, no, no, with the with small the caveat. caveat. Um, if 
you know a lot of people have been expecting that there's going to be another bit of a bump in the economy, uh, bit of a drop in the worldwide economy. If that happens, Fine Gael may manage to scare, like everyone will be just so scared they'll go, well, mm, I suppose then. Yeah. You know, it'll almost just like someone take the grenade kind of yeah, someone go scenario. Yeah. But I, I'm not talking about this November. I'm talking about last November when there was the... Oh, un- sorry, last November. an election after the budget. If, they had, called, if yeah. they had called an election literally three weeks after the budget, and because at the time, the opinion polls had, had Fine Gael at 32%, right? They, if they... Now, the problem is the minimum amount of time to have an election is three weeks. So they still had three weeks of this messing around. But if they had done it, would they have done better? Because they would have totally caught Fianna Fáil off, off guard. I think so. I, I, I think I discussed this with you around this time that I'm, I was shocked that they hadn't gone for November. No, I know. We know if they had done it, they would have totally blown Labour up. But I think they should have written Labour off anyway. They're blown up anyway. Yeah, that's they're, the point. They're yeah. lost. They're like, not their coalition partner. But aside from that, on what you were saying about the coalition partner, Labour made a couple of mistakes that seemed like good ideas. So taking education, health, social They didn't take health. Not health, sorry. Environment they Environment. had taken. But the problem with taking social protection, as you said, meant every time that something had to be cut, Labour had to go out and go, we've cut this. Cut child benefit. And I mean, they cut most, like, all of the stuff that's hot-button yeah. issues. And the, pe- well, the people that got cut were Labour supporters. So Labour could <laughs> yeah, Labour's exactly. problem was that they were going out and going, look, we know we promised we wouldn't fuck with you, but we kind of had to have <laughs> fucked with someone, so we <laughs> fucked with you. And they're looking at, but we voted you in to not fuck with us. And everyone's going, yeah, but we're not fucking with the middle class, upper middle class Fine Gael voters. Isn't that good? No way. That was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. We know? just screwed over our voters. Like. It, 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 they, were, they were very much a, like, stop hitting yourself party wall in governments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, that, you're so right. Like, I just like, you just wonder, flummoxed at how they did this. And of course, the funny thing is, they got blamed for Irish water. Hmm. which was all done by one Fine Gael minister, Phil Hogan, who's off in Europe on like a hundred grand a year living the life of Riley. And, and this bomb was handed to Labour and they were like, right lads, here you go, have the Department of Environment and deal with this nightmare. Now, the water thing, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, the water charges are part of the reason why Fine Gael lost. I don't know. I think Fianna Fáil were bright to say, let's kill it. And I'd say they will kill it. I mean, I don't think, do you think water, do you think this water agency is going to continue? Well, it's, it's really deciding how you want the taxpayer to deal with it. Do you want to be a party that puts up taxes on consu- consumption? Do you want to be a party that essentially puts taxes on how people use things and reduce it on the income end? So you're essentially depending on utilities and VAT returns. Or do you say, we're actually going to pay for more stuff and cut sort of the cost of buying and using these services by essentially reducing income tax? You know, it's, it's really which way you, you, you take, where you take in revenue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't see them messing with USC. I don't see them doing it. We're about to have some serious problems with the oil markets. I, I really don't see them going, oh, yeah, let's remove $4 billion of easy revenue. That is largely coming from people with means. You know, like, if, if you're a working class guy, you're not paying a hell of a lot in USC. You've no. been pretty much removed out of the bracket in the last two budgets. So, like, this is pissing off lawyers and accountants and people who earn that bit more that get bitten with it. Well, it's the thing. And middle management as well. Yeah, yeah them too. If you're making if you're making twenty thousand, one percent is like, yeah, that's a bit of a pain. But and also, no but your credits, deal. it'll you'll you'll get half of it. Yeah. You know, anyway. Like, Whereas if you're making you know hundred and fifty, it's the, a whole I mean, lot. More. No, the difference between self-employed workers and PAYE 
workers is, is considerable. And that was a real honest-to-God social justice mm. issue that if Fine Gael, I think if they had put that in the budget, they would have saved themselves a lot of grief because it is ridiculous that if you are a self-employed person uh, earning whatever money you're earning, that you don't get the same social safety net benefits. That is mad. Like. Yeah. And that is something that Fine Gael could very easily have fixed in the five budgets they had to do stuff. And people talk about small and medium-sized enterprises all the all time. All the time, yeah. And a lot of those are essentially self-employed businesses. Exactly, yeah. Which, well, yeah. which are getting screwed by this. Um, yeah, I mean, Fine Gael's sort of self-inflicted wound thing seems to have been considerable. I mean, I, I was very surprised that some of the policies they were advocating, and even just some of their rhetoric, I was like, have you guys, you guys have won elections before. But I mean, someone said to me, it's the fear of 97. Now, obviously, I was, you know, nine years old in 1987. I remember the election, but I, like, I don't have a huge memory of it. I wasn't here. A different man on TV was on. Yeah, like, I remember hearing about it more after the fact. But in 1987, the Rainbow Coalition lost because they proposed a series of tax reforms and Bertie Rannigism said, I'll just give you tax cuts, please. And Bertie Hearn got in. And so they were sort of haunted by this, which is why they cope with this mad tax cut strategy. But is it because... And that is an age question. Is that because Michael Noonan and Andy Kenny and all those guys are in their 60s and they are totally riveted by what happened nearly 20 years before instead of going, what's the future? Mm -hmm. Is it because they were constantly well, checking themselves, going, shit, we don't want to be like in 1997? But the idea of, and this was brought up by most of the facilitators of any of the debates, and I agree with it, handing out a bunch of tax cuts right now is probably the most stupid thing you could do. We've actually gotten finally back up to a level of taxation, and it sucks. I'm not saying it's enough, <laughs> but that's no, somewhere near normal. Yeah. Like it is, it is crap. It's terrible paying that much tax if you're, especially on a low income. But family. people have at least began to adjust to it yeah. to a certain degree. The, the services just need to catch up, and it will yes. be yeah. survivable. Exactly. And yeah. you need that. You need the actual government investment. You can talk about like and the that's the other thing. There's been no infrastructure, None. with the exception of this Lewis Cross City thing. No major infrastructure program whatsoever. And when is the infrastructure program to? Like we talked about this, what, 2019? They said they weren't even going to start building until 2020. So they were going to have five years of a think. So another, another term in government before they built anything. Exactly. But the thing is, like, you're talking about any real infrastructure. Yes, you need to do research and impact studies and a variety of other things before you begin a project. But an infrastructure project is 15 to 20 years. There's no way of getting around it. You can pretend you're going to get that done in three years. You can pretend that motorway or that rail corridor or that Lewis track or the bus corridor is going to be built, that hospital, that school. It's not. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen until the kids who were born today are able to vote. Well, if you look at the, 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 uh, during the 2000s, the school problems, most of the schools that were being built had needed schools since back in the 80s. It's a long process. I mean, we're going to have but a census in two on, months, and that's going to change everything again. The tax thing. I think part of the problem is, is Fine Gael and Labour didn't recognise that the poorer and younger people, I mean, most people I know, if you were to say they're upping tax, would be going, that's fine, I don't pay any taxes, <laughs> I don't make any money anyway, so <laughs> do whatever you want. And if, if, even if they did up tax, like, it would be a thing of like, if I got a job, I wouldn't be going, geez, the tax is so I'd be going, I have a job. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you'd be delighted with the job. How happy am I? Yeah. You know, so... Because we're not in the professional... It's not the professions, isn't that it? Yes, yeah. but the problem is, is considering there are young teachers, and by young, you know, in their 30s with kids and houses and so on, 
there comes into the thing of even they would be going, well, we're not making enough money for you to really increase tax on us anyway, so we're not worried about It's not going to hit us. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not a problem. But there isn't an imagined sort of problem. And I've met this with a lot of people I know who'd earn okay, decent salaries. But as soon as they earn over the 30 mark, oh, they, classify, no, they classify themselves with the guy who's earning 120. Yes. Because they mad. somehow feel like they are the psychic friend of that yeah. person. Well, I remember reading an American study which defined middle class as people earning between 100,000 and a million. <laughs> that's not the middle that's, class. That's a bit of a fairly large uh, bracket. But you're considering right. The median is. But the thirty. But that's right, though. Once you earn over thirty thousand, a lot of people go. I have to vote in line with the interests of billionaires. So me and Dennis O'Brien have the same. We're buds. World, we have, yeah, we're buds. <laughs> we have the same worldview, and we must vote Fine Gael and have massive tax cuts and no social services. I, maybe that's dying. Maybe that's what this election is. It's the kind of the sundering of that daft kind of viewpoint, you know. Really, until you earn really above 50, you have more in common with the people who are... On the dole. On the dole. Than you have with someone who's earning 120. Yes. Like, if you're a single man, you might have the sort of same lifestyle choices. Slightly different, yeah. yeah. Because you you don't have certain costs, and that's fine. But even then, you are going to be putting yourself... By voting for a party that's going to be cutting high ends of taxes, you're not a, you're not going to benefit. Yeah. Well, this is actually one of the problems on we're talking about the, the cutting of services and where cuts were made, and this is going to be the big talking point about what happened to Fianna Gael and Labour is where the cuts were made, and two cuts that I think really speak to the problems with focusing on the economy and not society are a number of small cuts that no one really paid a lot of attention to after a very uh, initial sort mm-hmm. of panic. And these would be cuts for, uh, for instance, sending the elderly to care homes. Oh, yeah. And when we're talking elderly, we're not talking, Jesus, I don't want, I, I kind of want Grant's house, let's convince you to go to a home. We're talking homes of like, Grant's kind of blind and deaf. Uh, we should probably send her care. to someone yeah, who yeah. can actually take care of her. And... The problem is, is that we have a lot, weirdly, a lot of people who live well into their 80s in Ireland uh, with a very poor health service at the moment, which means a lot of problems get a lot worse a lot quicker because they won't go to hospital or they won't get heating. And inevitably, the families can't manage to... It's very difficult. It's a full-time job caring for someone who is... And then they cut the carers. Yeah. And Which even, took the pressure then, off the system. But even then, the problem is, is that by having the families reliant, mm-hmm. having to care for them, you're taking a huge chunk of people out of the workforce, the workforce yeah. again. Uh, now, that's one factor. Um, but the other one is uh, the, the dole, where, I can't remember what it is, when you were born after, like, I think, 91. Oh, yeah, they cut uh, the dole. If you cut, you, the dole, dole is cut, so you lose... I think 25% because you were born after this date until you're 25, which I don't know about anyone else. The difference between being 22 and 25 in terms of how much I spent was non-existent. I spent pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah. The, the assumption being is that either A, they would go away to another country, or B, they'd live at home, which the problem is, again, is that then you have, you know, in Ireland, 
There's not a lot of work in rural areas. Yeah. So if you have everyone going home after they finish college and looking for work, well, it's kind of difficult. If, you, if you're from, you know, you know Donegal. Yeah. If you're from Donegal, applying for jobs and you're stuck living at home because you don't have enough money to live in a city, applying for jobs in Dublin is a whole huge thing just to go to the interview. It's, it, it is a major uh, problem. And then it's actually course, more affordable to leave. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. But then the other thing, of course, is that, that those factors are absolutely true. And they are crises that were kind of slow burners. And then the thing that really blew up was the last government. So Fianna Fáil started this and then Fianna Fáil put, uh, Fianna Gael put it on overdrive was the restrictions on rent allowance. Mm. Most people don't understand how rent allowance works. So when they put the restrictions on rent allowance, they did it in conjunction with the councils who so there was two things happening. One was a restriction on rent allowance that sort of pushed it down so you, could get, you couldn't get as much of it. And they changed all the brackets. Then the second thing that happened was the councils wanted to get rid of crappy accommodation that people had been living in that was dangerous or unseemly or whatever. And so the two of those together, over the last couple of years, resulted in this enormous housing crisis. Like, we have people living in cardboard boxes in public parks. And then they said they're going to build prefabricated houses on the side of the road for them. But this isn't sub-Saharan Africa. This is a country supposedly in the first world. What are we doing? And that was perfectly trackable. As in, that was a problem that you, you could kind of see where that was going to go. And that's one where I'm just going, who was, who was watching that? They, 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 if you look at the two more sort of left groups, so you have the uh, People for a Profit and Anti-Austerity Alliance mm. and the Social Democrats. Both of them brought that up in their own way. Social Democrats is we want to end child poverty. That was the campaign that came out over the election. Mm. And obviously the homeless crisis was a big part of the people before a profit. That and water charges were the two kind of, this stuff is on the news. Someone died outside the doll, which I hate to say. They hated brought that. Brought that yeah, to the yeah, fore. But yeah, it's, it's something that made it kind of, look, it's on the news. We're not just talking yeah, but about Saturday. But then, but then you had, then you had Ender, 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 Ender went out to Temple Bar and someone described that like Ender had never met a homeless person before. And he, he went into the doll to inform us of his findings. And he said, he said, it was terrible. They're living in all this horrible poverty and there's heroin everywhere. And I was like, where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I mean, that's not even a, a like you know Dublin big city problem. That's no. like in Ennis, like just go over there. There's a whole like thing. It's... And that, yeah, heroin's in every small town, and and that is new. The drug thing is in every small town. Yes, it's everywhere. It's now like and a lot of country people I know from Leitrim say, oh, that's Dublin. It's like no, that's in Manor Hamilton. That's yeah. everywhere, and and that's new. The kind of the the type of poverty we're experiencing. I mean, it's similar to the '80s when it was really bad deprivation. But the drug thing and the fact that the drug thing has metastasized out of the traditional bad places of it, where it was the flats and places of high urban density, and now it's going to be being diffused throughout rural areas. And with the kind of garda cuts they've done, how are they supposed to deal with it? Mm. And I think since we're sort of coming to the end of uh, the hour. It might just be since we've gone on to sort of talk about more generally about the economy and stuff. Yeah. In our own, well, I suppose we can do it individually. If there is a way to describe what you think is going to happen in the next, I suppose, six months to a year, like a, a variety of coalition ideas have come out in papers and people have talked about it. And then there's the talk of a, an election. And so. Well, uh, I'll go first. My, 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 I'd be putting my money on... Uh, 
Now, this is presuming that Fina Gael wins the, the, the majority. I'd be presuming that Fianna Fáil will try push for a Fianna Gael minority government because that's in the best interest of Fianna Fáil. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I would be expecting that they'll probably ride out the next three months with uh, the caretaker government and then we'll be looking at another election um, because I can't see any coalition except for Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael happening and Fianna Fáil will not do that unless they have the majority. And the reason for that is very simple. People keep thinking, well, Fianna Fáil will go into coalition because they love power. They're greedy for power. But does that mean saying to people? They're greedy for more power than they would have in a coalition government. Anyway. Uh, my point would be similar, but I, I think what will actually happen on March 10th is we will have a series of symbolic votes for different Taoiseach candidates. They'll all do this. Enda will try, Michal will try, Jerry will try, one of the lefties will try. And we'll have a bit of punch and duty, and they'll suspend the doll for about two weeks, they'll try to come to an agreement, they'll do this again. And I think this will happen maybe three or four times, and then we're just going to have another general election. Because uh, I just don't see how they can get the, the so shall we say, the bases of both of those parties to even continents, a minority administration. I think they want another general, um, and I think we're just going to have it. Uh, when it's called, I don't know. I mean, summer, summer elections tend to favor Fianna Fáil traditionally. So if I was Fianna Gael, I would definitely try to push it to like November when it's kind of cold and dreary and wet. But the thing is, you know, if it goes to November, that would mean that we would have six months without, a, we wouldn't have a budget. So there are kind of constitutional issues that will kick in there, and we could have a situation where uh, the president kind of dissolves the doll because he goes, this, there's no point in this. And of course, the, the power of the presidency is something that hasn't really been talked about in this conversation because his powers are largely undefined. And so we might see Michael D taking a much more expansive role in the next few weeks. Mm. But I definitely think it's going to start with a whole bunch of showboats. I think on the last point, I think what might happen is I think you might get a coalition. I'm not too sure. I think it will probably be some sort of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael thing, but with Labour brought in, or with a few independents dragged in. As the sandwich? Yes. But I don't think they'll be able to pass a budget, and then we'll have an election after that. Which, which will kick us into a November election again. Yeah. But the thing I think we can all agree is no one is expecting anything more than a year at most out of this election. Oh, and also I don't think the, I don't think the November election is going to result in any sort of majority either. I think we're going to be looking at this again. Well, or if, a version if, of it. If, if, if I was doing campaigning or looking at the next election, I'd be seeing if I could find dirt on any party or stir up any scandal I possibly could because that's the only way anyone's going to end up getting a huge change. Okay, well, that concludes our episode of Spoil Your Reign. And it's been great talking about the election, and we look forward to seeing what happens in the future.